1: access have accessed Entry 1446, EZ2734, Certificate Number 27264, The Wreck of the Titan. I'm sorry, but that didn't
2: build you a stronger ship, Young Rose.
0: Now we've recorded uh, 250 plus entries in our, this monumental reference work, John, but this is the first time we've ever recorded one in international waters.
1: So that's right. Although, although our uh, our secret bunker in Seattle is far enough down that it's outside of U.S. It has jurisdiction.
0: extraterritorial status. Did you guys yeah. know this. The U.S. only goes <laughs> down five hundred feet. Yeah.
1: We should do an entry on that.
0: We're a very shallow country.
1: <laughs>
0: so this is our big chance to talk about the crystal caverns, or the alien autopsies, or the lizard people, or whatever the man does not want us to talk about when we're back at home. That's right, but we
1: don't want to give away too much because we, uh, we still have so many episodes to do before the actual cataclysm. I hope. Right, so we need to trickle that stuff out.
0: <laughs> it's no longer clear. <laughs> By the way, future generations, as we're recording this, uh, we're in open water while some kind of weird Asian pangolin flu seems to be spreading over the Western Hemisphere. Yeah,
1: and we've, this, we've talked about that quite a bit, that, that at first we were afraid that the, uh, that the cataclysm would just befall this ship. But it's, it's entirely possible that we come back to a denuded world. We
0: might be the only people immune. And, and what's strange
1: is that, you know, if I had to repopulate the world from just this population,
0: yeah, I could live in that I world, think, right? What an evolutionarily fit world we will create together. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of hard work, famously hard on the women, but also, you know, given the odds of conception, pretty hard on them. If you want seven or eight billion people... Right. And the average success rate for a male donor is going to be something like a million to one. I mean, do the math. It's going to be a rough. It's going to be a rough road <laughs> for literally for everyone. Nights and weekends, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not till delivery date are we going to take a breath. But you know, while we've been on the ship, I've had I had some cause. This is our second day aboard, second full day aboard. That's right. Second day total. And this is your first cruise, so this is really your second day aboard. This is my second day of, of Joko of experience, right. Joko life. I, I divide my life into two segments now.
1: This is <laughs> B, BJC and AJC. <laughs> this is my 11th cruise. So yeah, thank you. So almost nothing could surprise me, but yesterday, during the, the first two hours of, the, of being in open water, it was some of the roughest. Uh, roughest, like, ocean time I've done.
0: And you were on stage singing a couple of your beloved classics while the the waves are rolling and and rocking.
1: But the real show was backstage as one after another member of the cast and crew uh, went into one of the two vomitoriums. Vomitoria. and And then were carried out on gurneys. So we lost half the show, the stage manager... Uh, uh, we lost the person that was supposed to clean the bathroom. You guys
0: had worse numbers than Altamont. At least Altamont had some births. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it canceled out. Well, Altamont had some
1: conceptions, right? There Was somebody actually born there?
0: Oh, yeah. I think there were births.
1: Uh, at births. births. If, you, if you are nine plus months pregnant and you go to Altamont... <laughs> If that's where your decision making is at, yeah. It may,
0: yeah, it may correspond with some other decisions they've made.
1: Nobody was born backstage, but I, I can't speak to whether anyone was conceived. There were two dressing rooms, and I could only be in one at a time.
0: It is, as they say, the motion of the ocean. <laughs> I, was, I was in the crowd watching you. Of all the people on the stage, you were the one, I think, who, for whatever reason, decided to just have a rollicking good time and let the currents take you, weaving back and forth. And I was kind of impressed by your... That's not even sea legs. I don't even know what to call it. It's the spirit of aloha. <laughs> manifesting through your calves. What I learned about aloha is
1: uh, if you look for the turtle... You will not find the turtle. You need to not look for the turtle.
0: And, and please walk us through how that compares well, to... Well,
1: so if you, try to, if you try to find your balance on the stage, you will fail. But if you let the stage guide you, you'll move all over it. <laughs> the microphone has to stay in one place. So I would, as I was singing, I would go past it. You know, her skin is cinnamon. <laughs> Uh, but from where I was standing, it sounded great. So,
0: you kind of orbited between that. You know, even in the uh, even in the crowd, it was a little alarming because you're in a you're in a, a big. I don't know that, how many people sit here. Eight hundred people. How big is this yeah, room? 800, hundred seven fifty. You're in a big. You're in a big auditorium, which you oh, expect. Wait, someone to really be. wants us to know. Thank you. Eighty. Wow. So you're in a place that you expect to be stable, an 880-seat room. Right. And instead, as I'm sitting in the back, I'm watching all the heads in front jerk in unison. And I realize how bad a job Star Trek does when everybody pretends to be bouncing in their seats. <laughs> because they never quite nail that, like, totally synchronous left, left, right, right, left. It was, it was a wonder to behold.
1: You haven't spent as much time watching uh, speedboat crash videos as I have. Because <laughs> it's a major feature of a speedboat crash. Everybody's in it, and then they start jerking like that, and then, and then you know the how crash come, is about to happen. How
0: come no matter what we talk about, you accuse me of not watching enough speedboat crash <laughs> videos? I'm sick of it. Anyway, between that and the muster drill at the lifeboats, I was thinking more about shipwrecks than I was hoping to on my first day aboard a cruise. Well, I know how
1: anxious you are about most disasters, because we talk about disasters quite a bit in our lead-lined uh, <laughs> uh, studio. But how uh, how... Like freaked out are you about ocean disasters, specifically in, ship sinking?
0: In general, no, because here's the thing. Everything about the nautical industries is designed to give you the impression you're on a, a building, which is going to be just fine, like all the other buildings in your experience. And of course, that is the lie on which the cruising industry runs. <laughs> uh, it's all very precarious, I think, and they don't want you to think about that, uh, which takes
1: which I, I, I'm noticing in, uh, Holland America employees starting to come down <laughs> on both sides.
0: The mic's being pulled away from me.
1: (laughs) With giant nets.
0: I'm sure we're all perfectly safe from this. (laughs) But uh, throughout history, sea travel has not historically been the safest thing to do. Even if you're a wealthy passenger who feels uh, invincible.
1: Wait a minute, wealth can't buy your way out of
0: uh, an ocean liner crash? It did not in mid-April 1912 Uh. when the Titanic went down on a cold night in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, our story begins in 1861, long before the Titanic incident, when a writer named Morgan Robertson, a former U.S. merchant marine turned jewelry maker. So, you know, the American dream, basically.
1: When you get out of the merchant marines, you really, the, the world is your oyster.
0: And you just want to sit at farmer's markets in your, that's funny. Yeah, thank and, you. And you just want it to... Like, s- it was a Ken, Ken Jennings level funny, Yeah. You want to sit at farmer's markets in your, in your uh, nautical turtleneck right. and show off the, uh, the, chunky, the chunky turquoise jewelry you've been working <laughs> on. It did not work out for him, and so he became a writer and began writing a very popular genre of short story at the time, kind of manly adventures of the sea. People loved the, the, the muscles and the froth and the anchors and, and all of the above. He was never well paid. He's one of these penny-a-word pulp writer guys. But he was one of the leading nautical writers of his day. He also wrote a story predicting that submarines would have a, one day have a 360-degree periscope. You know, we can dream. And then he went home and decided to invent one. Wow. There was, the lens technology wasn't there at the time. What a
1: da Vinci, this guy.
0: <laughs> so he, he did his own hammering and blowing of glass and finally built a prototype of his 360-degree periscope. Unfortunately, when he told the patent office, they said, no, the French already have plans for exactly this, and his, his dreams of a life of ease went out the window. But the point is that he's a, a forward-thinking man.
1: I feel like the number of like, truly useful inventions that, that were uh, sort of initiated by failed pulp writers who were former merchant marines should be an entry in the omnibus. What if this is the only one? <laughs> oh.
0: Then this is that entry. Well, yeah, this is it. He, uh, his this life, has been <laughs> the wreck of the Titan. His life came to a somewhat sad end. I don't want to linger on it, but he drank a little too much. He was not a happy man. His body, I found the New York Times account of his death. He was found in a New York hotel room in 1959, sorry, 1959, 1915, dead standing up, which I don't know how you manage.
1: I have a new aspiration. <laughs> How do I do this? I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure this happens.
0: Standing up with his head leaning on the bureau, dead of Peraldehyde poison. He had taken too much of whatever his sleepy bye-bye drug of choice was. Right. And somehow fell asleep on his feet. Uh, that doesn't seem like what you would want. He didn't have his belt around his neck on no, top of the closet door? he's just standing there with his head to the side. And I mean, if, of any moment in your life, you know, take a load off,
1: right? I feel like, I feel like it's, a, it's a component of drinking formaldehyde to death, that maybe it locks up your joints, right? Oh, yeah. oh that, 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 uh, that didn't go well. Everybody's like, huh, yeah.
0: <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for that <laughs> mental image, John. A
1: bunch, bunch of people are like screwing the cap on their formaldehyde flask, <laughs> slowly back on, like, oh.
0: You know, when he died, much was written about his successful stories. He was a well-liked writer, you know, of, of adventure novels and stories. None of the obituaries mentioned his work, Futility, which is today what he's remembered for. Uh, it's keep- just one of those stories where a
1: 19th century writer dies somewhat in obscurity and then some private school litera- literature uh, professor resurrects his, uh, his long-forgotten novel about fighting a whale and turns him into an American literary titan. In
0: fact, he was resurrected in the late 70s by the boom of weird paranormal book sets that the television <laughs> told you to buy. Does anybody remember the 1970s boom of uh, you know ancient aliens and the Bermuda Triangle and Bigfoot? and w- What was it about the Carter administration, John, that made us just fascinated with how the aliens built the pyramids?
1: You know what it was? It was they canceled Project Blue Book and then we all had been given a glimpse behind the curtain, and then they tried to shut it again, and we were like, no, sir, there are big feats everywhere.
0: You think it was like counter, like misinformation? They were intentionally feeding us bogus stories about the Loch Ness Monster via Reader's Digest so that we would not suspect what was really going on? So, you know,
1: my current theory is that, that uh, the movie Frozen uh, is, an, is a psyops attempt to get us used to the greys and to think that they're beautiful princesses. So that when they're finally revealed as being behind the government, we'll think, oh, it's Anna and Elsa. They'll have, like, they'll, have, they'll put wigs on them, kind of like E.T. when they were trying to make him look like a Halloween costume.
0: That seems like it'll be horrifying. But in the,
1: but in the 70s, they were retconning us and, like, oh, sure, and also Bigfoots. Uh, and it didn't work, right? We, we saw, saw through their
0: ruse. These were the books that returned Morgan Roberts into the public eye because his book, Futility, is subtitled The Wreck of the Titan. And it's about a giant ocean liner, the largest ever built, striking an iceberg and going down uh, in the North Atlantic in April on the starboard side in a manner very similar to what happened to the Titanic. And he wrote this book in 1898, fully 14 years before the Titanic sunk. And the book was reissued as The Wreck of the Titan in 1912 to take advantage of the new publicity, uh, which is kind of in poor taste because 1,500 people had just died. But uh, Robertson Robertson bravely claimed that he actually must have known on some level that the Titanic was going to be invented and then sink in 14 years, and he had merely planned well in advance for this.
1: Oh, so this was He didn't just say, like, I'm an imaginative writer. He said, I'm a psionic.
0: He said, I do not doubt that it is because all creative workers get into a hypnoid, telepathic, and percipient condition... Does this ever happen to you as a creative worker? You ever get into a hypnoid, telepathic, and percipient condition? It's happening right now. <laughs> the audience is hypnoid. I don't know if you're telepathic or precip- no, percipient.
1: I no, can, I, can I can feel their consternation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> In which, while a- as the
1: front of this boat bounces up and down.
0: <laughs> In which, while apparently awake, they are half asleep and tap not only the better informed mind of others, but the subliminal realm of unknown facts. So Robertson was on the record to the effect that somehow in a dream, he had accessed some collective unconsciousness of four-dimensional space in which time does not exist, and he brought back with him the knowledge of a huge catastrophe 14 years away. And what he did with that information, instead of telling us, instead of preventing it Marky Mark style, uh, he in fact just wrote a sea adventure novel about it.
1: It's it's fantastic. It's in the same family of... Uh, the, the fact that people who are reincarnated always seem to have been Imhotep rather than like Imhotep's chamber boy. toilet scrubber. That you would be able to see into the future and not see something um, like usefully mundane. Right. Like your wife is going to divorce you in two years if you don't start cleaning up or, after yourself. Or by yourself. the
0: numbers, you would just see somebody like waxing their floor or, you know? Right. You'd see somebody working at the office
1: Although we may be having those uh, experiences all the time and we just don't write novels about
0: them. Because they're not interesting. Right. Well in his case it must have been interesting enough. Let me walk you through, I read The Wreck of the Titan for you people, it's, it's not great. And let me walk you through some of the comparisons between Robertson's 1898 novel and what eventually happened to the Titanic in 1912. So to begin with, both were uh, brand new ships, the largest in the world. These are some of the parallels. Uh, both owned by a British firm, headquartered in Liverpool, with an office in Manhattan, going back and forth on the uh, northern route between uh, England and the United States in April. The Titanic was 882 feet long. The Titan, 800 feet. Very close. This boat, by the way, 936 feet. A little longer than either. Wow. Both ships were all steel. Three propellers and two masks masts. Both were unsinkable, considered uh, unsinkable, because they had watertight compartments that were impregnable. Uh, Each could carry about 3,000 people, same complement as this ship. The Titanic had a 66,000 ton displacement, Uh, the Titan 45,000. I looked it up for the New Amsterdam, the ship we're on today, 86,700. We're considerably bigger than the Titanic, if that makes you guys feel any better. (laughs) Again, they both leave their port in April. Uh, both strike an iceberg near midnight on the starboard side, uh, and the ship sunk just a few hundred miles apart from each other, given the description in Robertson's novel, and both had the fewest number of lifeboats allowed by law. Thank you so much, Mary Kobayashi.
1: Did the, um, did the Titan also have someone playing the theme from Titanic?
0: See, As it sank? Seattle's own Mary Kobayashi <laughs> was a good sport about helping create the mood. Uh, so the, the, the parallels do seem suspiciously close. And yeah, you- at what
1: point does a thing like that transcend mere coincidence in your mind and, and venture into a realm where something is afoot? I know you are a science-based person. I'm a rationalist. You think in terms of science, but surely can... You cannot look askance at this impossible
0: set of coincidences. It seems remarkable that a Titanic-like boat called the, Ti- called the Titan would hit an iceberg at nearly exactly the same spot in the same month with the same results. Uh, I, when you, you realize that this framing, though, has come from people who write mysteries of the unexplained-type books and is therefore maybe something we should examine closer.
1: So they read like 400 shipwreck books, and then were like, aha, we found the one that confirms our hypothesis. Well, they're
0: pointing out the closest parallels. If you read the story, uh, you can see that actually it's quite a bit different. Uh, Like James Cameron's Titanic, The Wreck of the Titan... AKA futility is a love story in this case between John Roland uh, once a proud naval lieutenant now uh, kind of a a drunk uh, common seaman swabbing floors on the Titan he's really come down in the world
1: oh he got busted down
0: he's left the service
1: there's nothing more romantic to a female reader than a drunk former officer who's now swabbing the decks I
0: think Robertson may be writing what he knows uh (laughs) When the Titan uh, loads up with passengers, he is shocked to see Myra Gaunt, now Myra Selfridge, the old flame whose rejection actually caused him to spiral out of the Navy and into a bottle. Her last name is Gaunt? Myra Gaunt. At the time, that was a very romantic James oh. Bond girl kind of a name. Oh, let me fan myself. But now she is Myra Selfridge because she has a daughter and a, new, a new, uh, spankin', brand spanking new husband. She's got a new life, and she is not happy to see John Rowland
1: uh, oh. uh, in the rigging
0: or whatever. Uh, and things, because
1: she still feel, has feelings for him. Apparently. Ha, okay.
0: And things go wrong almost from the start. Unlike the Titanic, the Titan smashes into a fishing boat as it heads into the outer banks because the, cruise, the shipping line is given orders neither to slow down nor to uh, change course. So when the shipping boat, a fishing boat can't get out of the way, it just smashes it.
1: But I, I, I fail to see how these small details... Uh, are taking away from the, uh, the ultimate truth of
0: the, the comparison. Patience. It gets even more baroque. Uh, John Rowland still has a, a conscience and a heart of gold under his hard-drinking exterior, and he threatens to tell the captain what he knows about this incident. And so the officers on board the ship load him with hashish, and he spends the first half of the book having drug-induced nightmares of snakes and stuff in hopes that they can make him an unreliable witness and push him overboard and stuff. The actual crash with the iceberg takes up about a chapter in the book. He's wandering around the deck in a hashish-induced vision. This is not something that happens in James Cameron's movie. It's also not something that happens when you take hashish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I know that you aren't the, the resident drug uh, expert on the show. But, I was going to turn this over to you. But snake visions uh, require like a slightly, slightly like higher dosage of medicine.
0: I don't really care. I just know they spelled hashish the old-timey way with two E's. Oh, I like that. And I was very into that. Uh, <laughs> the iceberg grazes the ship on the starboard side. The Titanic, famously, seemed to be fine, but then water started pouring into all our watertight compartments. It seemed
1: we'll- to be fine to everyone that wasn't right there, right there down
0: in the engine room. Right. Uh, everybody who wasn't already underwater or Irish or both. Uh one end of the ship filled with water, it's split, you know, w- tilted up, split in half. What happens to the Titan is very different. It slides up on a shelf of the iceberg so that the screws are out of the water. And from there, it tips over oh. and is gone in minutes. There, this would have been a much shorter cut of the Jim Cameron movie because it, it's gone immediately. And John Rowland, uh, Myra Gaunt survives in a lifeboat against, somehow, against all hope. John Rowland winds up on on the iceberg in the wreckage of the bridge with Myra's baby daughter, whom he now has to protect from the elements. So the book is like a quarter of the way over and the the Titanic stand-in has already sunk. And now there's all kinds of other crazy stuff that that Reader's Digest did not tell Carter administration-era America about. Uh, He fights a polar bear. He saves her life against a polar bear and is quickly rescued. Uh, Then the scene shifts to Lloyd's of London, where there's a long argument between the ship's insurers oh, sure. and the ship's uh, stockholders about who's going to take the loss.
1: See, now, when I saw the movie Titanic, I was pretty disappointed there wasn't a third act. Where's the insurance? Yeah. Audiences yelled. As, some, as someone that was very curious about
0: who got paid, I In, was pretty... Insure me like one of your French girls. <laughs> <laughs> this is... One of the least pleasant parts of the story because the uh, insurer we meet is a corpulent, hook-nosed man named Meyer Mm -hmm. who is the worst kind of 19th century anti-Semitic caricature. He's always saying things like, Father Abraham, which as we all know our Jewish friends like to say, and speaking in a bizarre dialect where all the Ps are Bs. You guys should boo so we know we're not on the side of this. Oh, yeah, we we don't like that. We don't like that. And everybody makes light of his troubles and says, well, he's still got his wife's diamonds. Not okay. Uh, Enter John Rowland, who has been rescued, and uh, he is able to, uh, because he knows about the fishing accident, fishing boat accident, he's able to extort... Uh, the shipping company to do the right thing but then when he realizes the chief stockholder is Myra Gant's new father-in-law he changes his mind and sticks the Jewish guy with the bill and leaves.
1: I don't know who the hero of this story is. (laughs) I mean is he newly sober and raising the orphan daughter uh, as his own?
0: The mom has survived. So the scene then shifts oh, to New York survived. City oh, right. where he goes to Bloomingdale's to try to buy her a new outfit and return her home and through a complex series of events is mistaken as a kidnapper and arrested and is taken to court as, the, as trying to steal a, a baby girl. Uh, you know, this guy survived a polar bear attack and then he gets taken out by New York Stop and Frisk. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you guys voted for Bloomberg in the primary, I just, wanna, <laughs> just wanted to remind you. So, such is the stultifying effect of a civilized environment, sniffs uh, Robertson, that our polar bear hero, oh. uh, you know, fell afoul of the, the mean law of New York City. Anyway, in courtroom, he's recognized as the hero. There's a kind of an epilogue where he goes into the civil service. It's like Great Expectations. It has two endings. In the original 1898 one, it just ends uh, that Rowland had learned the mistaken estimate of the importance of women and whiskey. So that's the end. He's... Uh, he has sworn off the two great evils of life, I guess.
1: Whiskey but, but that, and dating. But that, but that didn't test well with the, with the initial audience? When
0: the book was re-released when, for the Titanic wreck, special uh, movie tie-in edition, I'm sure it was a paperback that had the actual Titanic on the cover. Uh, he gets, he, after that, he gets a letter from Myra saying, I've, I've been watching your return to sobriety. I'm so happy. I know now that you were the hero who rescued my daughter. Come see Myra. And the book ends. And he went to see... Myra, and it's not clear whether he means Myra the old flame or Myra, her namesake daughter.
1: So, and quite... then he immediately started drinking again. No, the book ends. Oh, damn!
0: The the point is to end the book before the relapse. Nice. That's how behind the music works. It's how everything works.
1: I see. I see how you're. I see how you're setting this up. But again, I feel like perhaps our author, in his future visioning, his previsioning. Uh, maybe got a little sidetracked with one person's personal story, but in fact, the the, uh, the he pow- had
0: another dream that night about a polar bear and was and another one about Lloyds of London, right?
1: And conflated them because dreams are confusing. But in fact, he had an accurate vision of the wreck of the Titanic. How do, you, how, how do you refute
0: it? Well, the wreck, as he describes it, is almost nothing like the way the Titanic oh, well, actually went saying. down. The ship, it turns out, is going in the opposite direction. It's going from New York to uh, the United Kingdom. Oh, well, in that case. Uh, th- th- it goes down with all hands, unlike the Titanic. So the parallels are not all that great. All hands,
1: except Myra and the, and the guy with the polar bear.
0: Myra and polar bear man <laughs> and, the and the daughter seem to be the only survivors. Lucky. Good thing we were following them, huh? <laughs> unlike Rose in the movie, she actually lets her boyfriend survive. Reader's Digest estimated. Read- wow, that
1: was not popular with some Titanic wow. fans.
0: Wow, <laughs> a lot of Winsleties yeah. out there. <laughs> uh, the Reader's Digest estimated the odds against this kind of coincidence being just being. Uh, up to the laws of chance as one to four billion against. I'm not sure how they're doing that. So this was in the 70s.
1: By this point in time, it was enough, it had become a history's mystery and enough that Reader's Digest got involved. The ultimate authority.
0: All these kind of mysteries of the unexplained book sets included this as one of their proof that the paranormal existed. Uh, And they were unwilling to treat it as a coincidence. But coincidences happen all the time, of course. The odds of any given coincidence happening are very low. What is the most profound coincidence that's happened to you in your life? I was thinking about this the other night. And my wife reminded me of a time when a friend of mine, who I'd been hanging out with a few times, we were at a movie together, and my friend started talking about his wife, and I realized his wife had gone to high school with my wife. So this kind of random new friend had married a friend of my wife's through a totally uh, different vector. She went to high school in Berlin. And I was very impressed at the time. Because, you know, there's... What? A, how many Gen Xers in the United States? Somewhere between 50 and 100 million. Not enough. Exactly. We, we need, we're, here, here we more, come to save the day. We need more people who watched Scooby-Doo and thought it was good. So, you know, the odds are against, you know, two of those 100 billion people getting together who both knew us. However, as I was thinking about this today, I realized it was not a total coincidence. Both of our friends were not just Americans of that generation, but they were like Mormon kids of that generation, which is a much smaller world. <laughs> Suddenly <laughs> you're talking about...
1: Yeah, 30-year-old uh, white Mormons who are on right. a mission somewhere. Suddenly it's
0: about a, hundred, a few hundred thousand people, right. not, or you know some, somewhere in the neighborhood of a million maybe. It's no longer hundreds of millions, and a lot of coincidences are like that. The closer you look... And humans are bad at estimating probabilities. You know, There's the famous birthday paradox that asks how many people need to be in a room on average before two share the same birthday. Do you know the answer here? It's How many
1: people in this room have the birthday of March 18th? One. At
0: least two. There's one down what, front. There's two? Wow. Is that your birthday?
1: Uh, no. You just picked a I date. Just, random birthday, March 18th. Seemed like a good one.
0: Uh, but, all right. But the number is, in fact, much smaller. If you have 23 people in a room, the odds are above 50%. The two have the same birthday. Wow. And it's, it's surprising, right? Because your brain kind of conflates that with the odds of two people having... The same birthday, September 6th, or whatever, a specific date. But that's not what we're asking. They can have any birthday, and that makes the coincidence much more likely. Because again, here we're not looking at the, the odds of any particular given coincidence happening are very low. But the odds of some odd thing happening in the history of maritime literature is no longer odd. Have you ever had a weird coincidence happen to you? I think the weirdest coincidence in,
1: uh, is a family coincidence, family legend, but my mom's earliest ancestor in uh, America and my dad's earliest ancestor in America both lived in Colonial Williamsburg in the 1680s. So that's, again, the kind of thing that seems impressive, but... But they both came from um, the same region of England... You know, they both were from within 20 miles of each other. Oh, that's pretty good. In the UK. I mean, at the time, the population of colonial Williamsburg was only... I mean, it wasn't that many people.
0: Right, but if you go back to somebody's first ancestor... I mean, Williamsburg's probably a pretty common vector for that. Right. Uh, but that they would... If that, they're extremely white, like you. Yes. <laughs> that, they would com- that they would
1: eventually... So my mom is somebody who believes in the paranormal because she has cobbled together her own religion... Out of whatever parts she wanted, which is a, which is the late twentieth century fashion. She's sometimes she believes sure. in Zen Buddhism, and sometimes she, I mean, she still sings her Methodist hymns. But she also believes that my father and she were destined to be together, although their marriage was not successful because they had a problem that they needed to solve. That dates to Colonial Williamsburg, and that they're both fated to meet again and again throughout history until they finally resolve
0: who. Do you cont- know what the problem is? Is I there think- a missing locket? Or no, no, no. Uh, I think the problem is who controls the checkbook in this marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't feel they resolved it in this lifetime? No, they did not. <laughs> but you, luckily, you owe your existence to this colonial curse. That's right. Uh, you would not be here without
1: it. That's right. So, I mean, and I am grateful. I am grateful uh, that they... Uh, that <laughs> no, no, not really. It could, have gone, it could have gone a lot of other ways than the way it went. But, but, it, but it's always intriguing because, you know, when, when people trace their family line back and they watch this sort of spidering set of influences and they do a DNA test and they're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. You know, they find all these interesting things... And uh, and we've traced our line back in every direction, back to um, you know the the definitely the fifteenth century, like across twenty five vectors, and it all tells the exact same story. I have zero interesting story. It all basically it all goes back to Leeds. Everyone's from Leeds effectively 12,000 ancestors, and they all lived within 100 miles of Leeds.
0: That's why it's called Leeds.
1: Sucks. All roads Leeds to Leeds,
0: I guess. <laughs> I wish there was like one Italian. Then I'd have more interesting eyebrows. There's probably one sexy Italian ice cream guy, but he's not in the official record. No, it did, he didn't. It, it just got, it got washed away.
1: <laughs> so but This wave of fried potatoes. I mean,
0: there's a sense in which any given person's conception and birth... Is a miracle. What, what are the odds that that particular set of chromosomes from these two people, of all the people they could have they could have uh, produced progeny with? What are the odds that you got that specific set of chromosomes from those two people? That's why I cry every time I masturbate. <laughs> uh,
1: I feel like there's probably other reasons for that. <laughs> I don't want to look too deeply into it. I just think of all the. All the, all the beings that never were.
0: So when you examine the account that uh, Robertson gives on the Wreck of the Titan, you can see that the coincidence is maybe not as astounding as it appears. Um, so if you want to have a, a big boat shipwrecked in peacetime in modern days, you really don't have a lot of options besides an iceberg. You know, all the, all the other earlier vectors for that in maritime fiction, pirates and stuff marooning all that stuff's kind of out of date. Well, wait a minute. How many ships have sunk as a result of hitting an iceberg? So it's not uncommon in real life, but it's an especially common trope in literature, as we shall see. Oh, it's a plot device. Yeah, it's, it's a MacGuffin of the time, but, le- but let me get there. The, uh, the starboard collision, the fact that the, uh, the ship grazed its side instead of head-on, as, as a writer might be tempted to do, that seems very interesting, Right. It seems like it should grab your attention. Clever. But in fact, Robertson, as an experienced sailor of the sea, knew very well that that's not the most vulnerable part of a ship. That it could withstand a head-on collision because it was built to do so. Reinforced that. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should say this because we're in the very prow of this ship. Right. If something were to happen right now, what, who gets it first? The green room, I guess. The yeah. green
1: room backstage would know first. You can feel the strength, though, I say, as this giant room twists
0: and... And creeks. But the juddering you feel is the fact that we are, you know, plowing through stuff. That's right. what the ship is meant to do. Right. Whereas on its side, it's much more vulnerable to something catastrophic happening. The fact that both accidents take place in early April seems interesting until you realize that's iceberg season. You know, early spring is when you can sail that route, but the icebergs are calving from up north because the temperatures are warming it's the most dangerous time. So if you
1: decide on that as your plot device, then April just uh, suggests yes. itself.
0: You're kind of locked into, if you, know, if you want to do, and you know, if, if Europe and the East Coast of North America are your place where you want to set your tail, which is where right. sea stories would have been set back then, um, you're kind of locked into the North Atlantic, and okay. a starboard collision in April with an iceberg would be the way to go. I'm no longer that impressed by that then. You've still, so, but you've still got all the, the numbers, you know, the gross tonnage of such a ship, right. the crew complement, and you know, all the stuff that matches perfectly.
1: Are you here to tell me that, that those were commonplace numbers? I
0: misled you a little bit, John, when I tried to astound you with all those numbers. <laughs> In 1898, by the time the story was written, the White Star Line, that later produced the Titanic, had already announced they were going to produce a new mega ship with the exact same specs. Oh, so this story was ripped from the headlines. He literally saw in the headlines, this is going to be the boat of tomorrow. It's going to have three screws. It's going to be such and so much percentage bigger than all our other liners. Wait, in the article, was it already called the Titanic? Well, that's what's interesting. Uh, The name in the article is the... And this is going back to 1892. The uh, White Star Line has already planned on calling their big megaship the Gigantic. After the Pixies song.
1: Sure. <laughs> Gigantic.
0: <laughs> no, in fact, they... Uh, I didn't know this. The uh, White Star Line named all their ships to end with the letter I-C. Because they were Crips. They were Crip killers, <laughs> 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 They were all called Thick
1: with uh-huh. two Cs. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the ship names? Gigantic, well, I mean, bar- Barbantic... The type) uh, Mar- marmantic. I just
0: want the rest of the show to be you listing made-up <laughs> words to start with IC because uh, apparently you can't think of any uh, real ones.
1: Florflantic. Flar- flar-
0: <laughs> Let's pretend we're on Pyramid and the category is words that end with IC. Go. Uh, sick,
1: mean- uh, meaning... Uh, the way I
0: feel. W- w- things that make you miss work.
1: No, um, no. Uh, uh, things, uh, things
0: a doctor might say.
1: No, something that you, uh, uh, that you write incorrectly.
0: Oh, I see. A type typogra- uh, what do you call word. those? No, no, editors' those? notes. Yeah, editors' uh, notes. Sick. Sick. Uh, uh, That's the only word you could think of. That a chic, chic, Uh Disco bands. Uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, I forget
1: how to play twenty thousand dollar pyramid. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, game show nerd. <laughs>
0: you're you're really uh, a. <laughs> You're really disappointing the millennials because if there's one thing I know about millennials, it's that they love $25,000 pyramid. They're always talking about. You know, when
1: it. I first started watching it, it was the $15,000 pyramid. That, that's how old you that's are. That's how old I am.
0: And that was a lot of money back then. It was.
1: You could you could put your kid through college.
0: The earliest ships were the Oceanic, the Britannic, the Teutonic, and the Majestic. The Teutonic. This was before World War One, oh, right. so it was okay to have it was a still, German-themed you, uh, ship. You can kind of see they get a little more Anglo-Saxon as World War I is shaping up. Then you get the Celtic, the Cedric, the Baltic, the Adriatic, the Olympic, and finally the Titanic. The gigantic, much, the much monted gigantic was never actually built. I think I'd be a little disappointed if I
1: signed up for a cruise, especially then in the tuxedo cruise days, and I was on the Cedric.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to me, that sounds better than Gigantic. The Cedric? Cedric seems like it might be named after some famous knight king, or... Uh, like a king of comedy? Or poet, I guess.
1: <laughs> like and, a famous entertainer?
0: And in the main <laughs> lounge, Cedric the Entertainer. <laughs> uh, no. The, the, their competitor line, the Cunard line, actually ended every... They uh, <laughs> had a ship
1: called the Schmedrick?
0: <laughs> they ended every ship with IA. So the, oh, instead okay. of the Britannic, they would have the Britannia. Right. So there was the this, Lusitania. There was like this kind of built-in naming convention, yeah. sort of how... I don't know what do we have today. Apple well, you, naming all its operating systems. No, you after, have all those
1: Mormon dads that name all their kids starting with the letter J: Jaden, Brayden, Caden, <laughs> yeah.
0: Aiden, Gladen. So Gladen.
1: <laughs>
0: so if you and I were to ask ask to predict the specs of something in twenty years, you know, like what's the world's biggest skyscraper going to be? What's the world's biggest jumbo jet going to be? What's the world's fastest computer going to be? We could do what Robertson did. We could look at. You know, we could read Wired or whatever and see the predictions and say, yeah, it's going to be something that's been blueprinted now, but 20% bigger.
1: We should ask John Scalzi if he just reads Wired.
0: This is how science fiction writers (laughs) produce the future, basically.
1: They're like, I read this article in Wired. If I just increase everything by 20%.
0: It's going to be this, but a little bigger. So clearly what happens is he read about the gigantic and realized, well, Titanic is a like likely thing to come after. But I don't want to say Titanic, because then I'm actually giving the naming convention of the White Star Line. Like I'm implying what company is going to produce the ship behind this disaster, and I don't want that to happen. Right, so he probably at that point said, well, it won't be the Titanic, that would be White Star, it won't be the Titania, that would be the Cunard Line. Uh, I'll just call it the Titan. Um, and finally, as you, as you implied... Ships hitting iceberg was a beloved subject of fiction and poetry in the 1800s. And none of this has survived, I guess, presumably because it wasn't very good. And maybe after the Titanic, it kind of got overshadowed anyway by real events. Right. But writers back then loved the idea of ships hitting icebergs. I don't even know what to chalk this up to besides the fact that it's something bigger than a ship you could run into.
1: Well, you know, we love airplane crashes, yeah, that day. famous
0: thing that everyone loves.
1: Love an airplane crash. Well, you can't turn around without someone writing a beloved novel about airplane crashes.
0: That is true, though. But, you know, it was... After, the... after 9, so 9-11 is kind of the, the Titanic of our time, you know, right. the, the disaster that got into the ether and changed everybody's dreams and fears. And there were a ton of look alike books about terrorist attacks on, and very literary ones, terrorist attacks on American cities.
1: I think also in the 19th century, we were still living in a time when most people died. <laughs> by which I mean, you know, you had 14 kids and only three made it. Those, uh, two of those three got on a wagon train to the West and you never heard from them I again. See. Most and people then, died in front of you is yeah, what you're and saying. And then one of them was killed by, by uh, like a wife in order to, to be free of your, your uh, masculine ways. And so then everyone was dead. And so people were, they were craving uh, media about people dying because it was something they could relate to. Now, like, death media. It's just, it's kind of porn, basically? uh, You mean, none of us die, right? Half half the people in this room should be dead already. Uh, But we all live on. I should I should have died fourteen
0: times. But penicillin and um, yeah. and
1: moxie. Penny, penicillin and macaroni and, and cheese and tab. And your own your own inner uh, moxie helps save you. Desire to thrive. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's not so much death in media now. Uh, or rather, if you watch movies, there's death all the time, but there's less like personal. Death. It's less visceral. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's exciting death from a distance. See, I'm terrified of shipwrecks. I, uh,
1: it's one of the things I'm, I'm absolutely terrified to die in a shipwreck.
0: Are you thinking about it right now? No. What about just now when the stage juttered because we no. went through a well? No, a big no, no, no.
1: I have a very strong will to, to not think about dying in a shipwreck. But I'm not a good swimmer. I don't like the water at night in the dark. I don't want things nibbling on my toes. I don't want... Things in my underwear, which is what happens if you're in the ocean at night. Things get in your underwear.
0: That's the, the cause of half of deaths at
1: sea. Are... <laughs> I don't want to d- be denied breath. You know, all these things. And it all, like, it all is just like, well, if the ship sinks in the night, all those things are going to happen to you in rapid succession.
0: One of the most famous writers who wrote about uh, this was a, a, a British journalist named W.T. Stead, who was a famous spiritualist. He believed that he was, uh, an, he was an automatic writer. His hand could just start writing and, you know, it kind of bypassed his conscious thought. And he would just produce pages of text, which he said were coming from his, uh, his you know, uh, his spirit guide from the beyond. Ramtha. La- Lady Julia. His Ramtha was a, a, a friend named Lady Julia. He would even, as a journalist, he, would, he was trying to invent something called telepathic interviews, whereby he would just automatic write both the questions and the answers. And then in his account, in, in his account, he would call up the interviewee, and she would be like, "Yep, that's exactly what I meant to say. Good job, put that in the paper." And so, really, it would save a lot of time for <laughs> for, a, for a certain kind of lazy reporter. Because the
1: interviewers were all like, "She's an amazing writer, a beloved figure." Yep, that was she, it.
0: She must have said very flattering things when he telepathically interviewed her. So he wrote about he kind of predicted the Titanic twice in 1886. He he warned in an editorial about what would happen if cruise if shipping lines kept. Uh, letting ships go out with much fewer lifeboats than crew members, which somebody should have noticed. Oh, wait a minute. Now, but, now I'm back on, on uh, team uh, this guy. Sure, he's a common sense guy. Yeah. And in 1892, he wrote a novel called From the Old World to the New, uh, in which he predicts a real ship, the White Star Line, uh, uh, the Majestic, the biggest ship of the White Star Line at the time, hitting an iceberg and going down. And it's a plot point that the captain of the ship is one Edward J. Smith, who turned out to be the real captain of the Titanic. So this guy's actually doing a better job than Morgan Robertson, and he one-upped Morgan Robertson in one other way, too. Insta- Wait, was, instead that, of, what, was it a
1: fake name, and it just coincidentally was the actual name no, of the No, he captain? was
0: using the name of a real ship captain and oh. ship, which is a little bit iffy in your futurist novel, to actually kill a real sea captain on his real ship. But maybe, that's maybe he's not psychic. Maybe he's like some kind of demon. Mindy's N- <laughs> theory was that one of these, my wife's theory was that one of these writers actually was aboard the Titanic and sabotaged it in order to make their book come true. Right. Or, may, or maybe the captain read the book and was like, well, f*** it. <laughs> I don't have a hotel room to stand in, so good night, everybody. Well, when W.T. Stead died, he did not die standing up in a hotel room. He was on board the Titanic on the night of April 14th, 1912.
1: Get out of here. And
0: after twice predicting a giant ship going down by iceberg, he himself sank into the North Atlantic this that night. This is the
1: best Titanic story I have ever heard. And the Can funny- you imagine the last 30 minutes of Batman's life where he's like, I was trying...
0: Did nobody read the editorial? Everybody's like, we didn't buy the subscription. That was, I had, I had used my five free articles. I'm, (laughs) I'm sorry. Why did we waste all the time in that movie with that brooch? When we could have been following this guy's exploits as he ran around the deck. And of course, when this famous spiritualist went down in the Titanic, the biggest news worldwide, telepaths and paranormal people around the world went nuts all saying that they saw him they appeared to him in dreams he made hundreds of appearances the following year in the paranormal press he was bigger after his death than before
1: i wish i'd been his agent
0: (laughs) one of my very favorite 19th century accounts of uh of death by iceberg was written by none other than herman melville Uh, who wrote of Moby Dick fame, you know, America's greatest sea story. In 1888, he wrote a poem called The Berg, which is a very beautiful kind of dreamlike look at how calm it might be if a ship hit an iceberg and the iceberg just didn't care, which is kind of accurate. That's that's pretty much what happens.
1: It's one of the characteristics of icebergs.
0: (laughs) The iceberg has a very good crunch zone. It's like a Prius. (laughs) It just doesn't care that much. And normally it's just John and me speaking on this show, and we know that gets tiring. I mean, I have to think how hard it is for us to listen to each other talk. It must be doubly hard for you. Um, So to read this poem, we've brought a special friend of ours, uh, one of our favorite people, Amy Mann. Yay! Where should I... uh where should I be? I, would, I,
2: I think also Mary should play while yeah, I... Yeah,
0: come along, Mary.
2: We should have an atmosphere. Let's Set have an encore
0: of My Heart Will Go On by yeah. our friend Mary Kobayashi.
1: Amy is the most Melvillian voice that we could think of on the ship.
0: We had a big audition. Everybody w- had to read a full chapter of Omu. I was the one person at dinner that would agree to do
1: it. <laughs> the one person at dinner that was struggling to think of a reason that she couldn't do it, yeah. but couldn't think of one. Well,
2: seasickness is a good reason. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're, um... You're getting me right at the, the, the perfect peak of the Dramamine. So, where it's like, it seems like a little fun until it, until it doesn't. I was one of the, the first uh, vomiters last
1: night. You were, you were casualty number one. I, I was like... Patient zero.
2: I had like 20 minutes before, after we started, after it really got going, and, uh, and then I was like, I'm not going to be able to play. And then I thought, I'm not going to be able to make it back to my room. Yeah. <laughs> threw up in the
1: hall yeah yeah all right
2: (laughs) uh in front of jonathan colton so i'm very i'm very proud of
1: myself i was backstage getting ready you know for my portion of the show and then i looked at the the list and you were scheduled to go on next but you were gone (laughs) and and i was scheduled to go on next all of a sudden next man up so i so i was like all right not ready
2: I, I gave the people what they really wanted.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, I have a paranormal coincidence. Yes. When I was 20, playing with a Ouija board, as one does with my friends. And, of course, the, the things that we um, would ask it, because you think you're talking to a dead person, you, you ask it... Uh, how how did you die, and you know where are you from, and where are you now, that kind of thing, and and then occasionally we would ask it, um, was did I have a past life, and I was a housewife in Green Bay, Wisconsin.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: so just recently, I mean, you were you were reincarnated. Pretty fast. Yeah. That must have yeah. been your
0: previous life. Yeah. There haven't yeah. been previous housewives life. in Green Bay for all that much yeah. of human history.
2: So just, you know, in response to, there was no princess, there was no king, and so were you housewife spook-
1: in Green Bay. Were you spooked by that? Did you- no, no.
2: I, I wasn't spooked by that, but I was, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you the coincidence and I'll tell you the thing that made me not ever do that again. <laughs> um, the first was... Uh, of course, the other thing, you know, when I was 20 and I was a musician, was, uh, the question was, will I ever get a record deal? And it said, yes, in 1984 and in 1991. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous, because you get one record deal and then you're set for life, right? Sure, that's everyone what I knows
1: that. <laughs>
2: but I did, my, my band got a record deal in 1984 and then I got a, my, a solo deal in 1991.
1: Okay. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Spirits had
0: a future set of Spin Magazine or something.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Pretty good forced ghost.
2: And this is when I decided never to do this again.
0: Well, wait Um, a minute.
1: You couldn't have decided that then because you. No, no, no. Oh, I see. The
2: following story.
1: Please hold. Sorry.
2: (laughs) Uh, I decided to try automatic writing with another friend, so I held a pen in my hand in a, this sort of awkward way. And my friend's hand was gently touching my hand. And then I saw my own hand go round and round in spirals, which is super creepy. And, you know, like we were doing, like, you know, is, is this a spirit? What's your name? Mary. Sorry, Mary. But it was Mary. And that's I weird. Said,
1: that that's how she pronounces it, too. <laughs> Mary.
2: Mary. And I said... Um, where are you? And it wrote, hell. Oh ah. no. And then I said, why are you in hell? And it wrote, murder. <laughs> and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> That's, a- That's awful. Okay, so I'll get, I'll get down to the poem writing, uh, reading. I'm sorry, I've taken up your time with my murder stories. Are you ready? Yeah. Mary, okay. The berg, a dream. I may mispronounce some words. I saw a ship of martial build, her standard set, her brave apparel on. Directed as by madness mere against a stolid iceberg steer, nor budget, though the infantry ship went down. The impact made huge ice cubes fall, sullen in tons that crashed the deck but that one avalanche was all, no other movement save the foundering wreck. Along the spurs of ridges pale, not any slenderest shaft and frail, a prism over glass green gorges lone toppled, or lace of traceries fine, nor pendant drops in grot or mine were jarred when the stunned ship went down. Nor soul the gulls and cloud that wheeled circling one snow-flanked peak afar But nearer foul the flows that skimmed in crystal beaches Felt no jar No thrill transmitted stirred the lock or jack dross needle ice at base Towers undermined by waves The block a tilt impending kept their place Seals dozing sleek on slittery ledges slipped never when by loftier edges, through very inertia overthrown, the impetuous ship in bafflement went down. Hard berg, methought, so cold, so vast, with mortal damps self overcast, exhaling still thy dankish breath, adrift, dissolving, bound for death. Though lumpish thou a lumbering one, a lumbering lubberd, loitering slow, Impingers rue thee and go down, sounding thy precipice below, Nor stir the slimy slug that sprawls along thy dead indifference of walls.
1: And that concludes... The wreck of the Titan. Entry 1446.EZ2734. Certificate number 27264 in the omnibus. Well, Ken, that was a fun live fancy show that we just did.
0: We're back in the bunker. Here we are without without special celebrity guest stars and uh, and backing violinists.
1: You know a lot of uh, a lot of people at the time were kind of shocked that we were on a
0: cruise. Well, we were shocked that we had wound up on a cruise. The timing was not great.
1: It was really the last cruise that you could possibly be on. And uh we spent the whole time the whole cruise, everybody on the ship, very conscious of coronavirus, but it hadn't yet become a pandemic. And it turned not, not out, in the United States. Not in the United States. But it had turned out or it turned out rather that uh that the cruise ship seemed to be the
0: safest place in the world. Uh, no, no one got sick, everyone stayed healthy. This was not something we could have computed in advance. So it's not like we're geniuses for taking a you know agreeing to do this cruise that we'd signed up for months ago. Right, 9 months before before the virus swept the globe. But uh the results could not have been better. Everybody had one last carefree week yeah, before they had to go home to cities and towns, which it turned out were more COVID plagued than the ship. We were
1: kept out of Grand Tortuga because the government, halfway through the cruise, shut down all the cruise ships. The
0: Turks and Caicos very wisely said, how about not Americans today? And then when we got back to
1: Florida... Uh, I think the the time in in the last couple of months where I felt the most vulnerable to getting contracting coronavirus was in the Fort Lauderdale airport the day we got back because every other cruise had been canceled that morning. So ever yeah, we were the literally the last boat, so everybody else is trying to get home. And we're suddenly in this airport that felt like a cantina in most ice. Uh, with people sleeping on the floors, and there was an elephant, and there were there was
0: a lightsaber duel. And it's especially weird thinking back now that I have not been in another room with with four people since then. Right. You know, like the the biggest group I've been in with since then was is my family in the living room because you and I have both been scrupulous quarantiners. Right. We got home and
1: immediately went into quarantine. So that was in some. I mean, uh, this episode was recorded in our last hurrah, and I, whatever I contracted from. Amy Manin, uh and Mary Kobayashi, there's no cure for it. <laughs> Whatever. What I contracted, Ken, was a broken heart. An achy, breaky heart, <laughs> sure. as we say. And there's no cure for that. Uh, futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media or really any 20 or 21st century culture exists in your era, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. That's where you can find all of our shows, all the great shows,
0: the great Omnibuses. Omnibuy. Uh,
1: our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. And, and if you want, you can scroll back in time. That's a wonderful thing about Twitter and, uh, and Instagram. Uh, you can scroll back and see where we were on this day in history. You could scroll back to... Ken and myself tweeting about the cruise as we were about to get on it. You can relive it, relive our lives on your own life,
0: but not while we were on the cruise because the internet was terrible. Yeah. We didn't tweet from the cruise.
1: Um, you can go to my Instagram account and watch as I spend all of my time in my ravine, in my backyard. Pulling old video cassettes and boots and tin cans out. You're going to find a body, of the creek.
0: And I, I really want to see those photos. Yeah,
1: it's going to be fascinating when I find. <laughs> it's going to be like a minor forty nine er in there with a gold pan. Um, and I'm at Instagram at at John Roderick. Also, you can email us if you have uh, if you have stuff that you if you believe that this is a two way exchange. Omnibus, where right. we talk, and then you get to talk?
0: That is uh, what 100% of podcast <laughs> listeners believe, by the way. That's the collective illusion of podcasting.
1: If you If you believe that this is a two-way conversation, and you're tired of boring your spouse or roommates with your side of the conversation and want to direct it to to us?
0: Have you ever, in the uh, Truffaut Fahrenheit 451 movie, there's a thing where Julie Christie gets so excited because the characters on the TV will turn to the camera and leave a blank space for her to speak. Mm -hmm. What if we started doing that on the show? Like, if you donate at the the $50 level, you send us your name and at some point in the show, John will say and what do you think, Susan? (laughs) And we'll all stop and you can clear your throat and say a thing and we'll be like that's an interesting idea. Wow, Thank I hadn't you. thought of it that Thank way. Thank you, Susan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you can mail us those thoughts, Susan, at theomnibusproject at gmail.com, unless your name is Kevin. Uh, also, you can go to the Future Facebook page and talk with other Susans and Kevins uh, who will re- respond to you immediately. And they are
0: as smart and interesting, if not more,
1: so than Ken and
0: I. What a fun social set there. We want to start seeing, I mean, after the lockdown, we want to start seeing marriages and children come out of that Facebook group.
1: Ken and I 100% promise to gather with the Futurelings together in one big convention center at some point. I might not be able to make it, but Ken will definitely be there for the Futurelings convention.
0: Ken will officiate your, John will officiate your wedding.
1: I will do that. (laughs) I will do that. Um, You can mail us things. Oh, also, there are fan groups across all social media now. Omnibus has become uh, a ubiquitous presence in uh, the social media sphere. So just look for futurelings where you congregate, uh, and I'm sure you'll find a great... Where fine Facebook groups are sold. That's right. You can mail us actual physical things. And then, and know for a fact, if you mail us something, that it will touch both of our hands, because Ken will unpack it. He'll hold it up, and then he'll hand it to me, and I will look at it too. I do. I
0: do keep it in my car for three days. first to keep out to make sure all the, the viruses die.
1: Please do not send us any anthrax or other Again. contagions. Stop sending anthrax and you know who you are. That's P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155. And if you enjoy the show and feel like contributing to its uh, to its production and its uh, ongoing life as a media property, you can contribute at patreon.com slash omnibusproject and uh, that will unlock a lot of Bonus content. How much did
0: you contribute, Susan? Thank Thank you! you. (laughs) Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst were to come soon, this recording, like all our recordings, would be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.